So we've got somebody in here that's going to give us a real-life testimony of service. We have a very special guest with a very special story. We're honored to have Bill Allen with us today and his wife, I believe. And his son-in-law, Mr. Hutchinson. Mr. Yeah. Hutchinson. Uh, welcome. Thank you guys for blessing us here. Mr. Allen is a World War II veteran who served as a medic on Omaha Beach in France at the Normandy invasion. As reported in a PBS documentary a few years ago, Navy medic Bill Allen was only a teenager when his ship was destroyed in Normandy. He was one of only 28 survivors. The ship carrying supplies to soldiers sank during the 1944 Battle of Omaha Beach, claiming the lives of 117 sailors. After the ship was attacked, fellow sailor Jack Hamlin pulled Allen, now 94, onto a life raft. Together, Allen and Hamlin saved four other men and were taken to England to recover. After serving three years in the Navy, Bill returned home to Murfreesboro where he met his wife, Ali Tomlinson. He worked at Murfreesboro Electric Department and continued to serve people at Woodson's funeral home until he retired at age 91. He's got a very powerful story and testimony to share, and I'm so honored that Mr. Bill Allen is here with us today. Let's welcome Mr. Allen. Thank you very much, Todd. I appreciate those kind words. I'm honored to be with you today. Anyone wants to hear my story, I'm always glad to share it. I don't ask to take up your time, but if you want to hear it, I'm glad to share it. Before I get started, let me make two statements. First of all, you notice I have no notes. I speak simply from memory. So I may say that we were somewhere a couple of days, we were there a week, or it may might have been there a week, over there one day. I may be a little bit mixed up on my timing, but I have not changed my story to make it more impressive or less impressive. Second, I'm not a hero. I have been called a hero. I appreciate the honor. I wish that maybe I was, but I never served time in a concentration camp. I never was a prisoner of war. I never made a death march. So I'm not a hero. I'm a survivor. So with that in mind, we'll get started. I think my story starts May the 18th, 1943. Got up that morning, had breakfast with my mother, my father, my one brother. On up to the morning, I drifted downtown, stopped by the draft board, registered for the draft. Came home, mother had a birthday dinner for me. That night I graduated from Central High School, the old building over Maple Street. I doubt if I even remembers it. But uh, anyway, 
1943. Some eight, ten weeks later, I found myself on a train on the way to Navy boot camp at Bainbridge, Maryland. Now, Bainbridge is on the other side of Baltimore, in fact, almost out of Maryland, just about in Delaware, if you're familiar with the geography there. Boot camp lasted some, oh, six, seven weeks. I had played ball all the way through high school, basketball, baseball, some football, but my mother didn't know about it. <laughs> so I was in pretty good shape physically. So boot camp didn't bother me. But I think the one thing that I learned out of boot camp was responsibility. I learned that I had to keep my clothes clean. Mother wasn't there. The area I lived in, I had to keep it clean. If I was supposed to be somewhere at 9 o'clock, I got there at 10 minutes to 9, not 10 minutes after 9. <coughs> Boot camp was over. I think it was 120, if I remember correctly, in the company. About half went straight to sea. The other half got some kind of service school. I was fortunate. I got to go to the hospital core school, make a medic. It was also at Bainbridge. We took courses such as anatomy, first aid, minor surgery, medications, hospital procedures, courses that would help us in our service later on. While we were in the hospital core school, as a group of us, about 10 or 12 of us, it became very, very close and remained close throughout our lives. We were all Southern boys, three or four of us from Tennessee, three or four from Georgia, a couple from Alabama and one from Mississippi. Before school was over, every one of us was sent to Naval Hospital at Millington, Tennessee, just outside of Memphis, for duty. We were there some two, maybe three months. All of us shipped out, went to Lido Beach, New York, about an hour from Times Square by train. First Saturday, we were there at Beetle Beach. We fell out for inspection. Thousands of medics waiting to go across. Inspected officer came out making his rounds. Never made a stop because he got right in front of me. I thought, what is this world? He won't know my name, I told him. Says, when did you report here on this base? <clears throat> I said, last Thursday. He said, you report to the OD shack when the inspector's over and you under blues. I said, yes, sir. I want to stop you made. But I did as I was told. <clears throat> Reported to the OD shack to tell that I had the only person in the shack 
was Anson, Anson Horowitz. He had to be from Nashville. But we made friends very quickly. They need someone to work there in the old East Shack. My job, I had a list of everybody's on the base, every medic. As LSTs became available, we put groups of 20 on each LST. A couple of doctors, a chief pharmacist mate, two first class, I get down there second class, third class, hospital friends. My job is to form those groups, but that, that our groups still stay together. They came, our ship came in, LST-523. Now, for somebody that may not be familiar with Navy ships too well, LST was a small ship compared to some of them. 328 feet long, about 50 foot wide. Battleship aircraft carriers, 1,200 feet. So you saw a compare there. But the LST we were on had just been made the previous fall. It had been made at Jeffersville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville. It was new ship, clean. We were lucky on that. It had everything we had to have, but it had no extras. We went aboard at Bayonne, New Jersey. <clears throat> Within an hour, we were underway. Up to the Hudson River. On up, stopped in Boston for a couple of days. On up to Halifax, Nova Scotia. That's where the main convoy was forming. We were there a week, maybe 10 days. Every day, more ships would come in. We took off one day. I don't know how many ships was in that convoy. But we got to see swells would build up. As far as we could see in front of us and behind us were ships. There were tankers, there were freighters. LSTs, destroyers, everything, I guess, except a battleship or an aircraft carrier. An LST had a flat bottom. Most of your ships were built V-shaped, go down the water for stability. The LST had a flat bottom where we'd go into the beach, which made it ride extra rough. The first Sunday out, one of the boys of our group, did you notice that I always went to church on Sunday? He said, we don't have a chaplain, we don't have a chapel, nothing in the way of religious facilities. One of the other boys said, well, I love the New Testament. You all said one like this, this size. He said, we sit here in our bunk read a few verses. So three or four of us sat there, read some verses. One of the boys 
told what it meant to him. Next Sunday, about three or four boys joined us. We built up every one of our group. Had a little worship service every Sunday morning. Sometimes it wouldn't last for over five minutes, ten minutes at the most. But that was our worship experience every week. Some four weeks later, we landed in Plymouth, England. And Plymouth had been practically blown off the map, just bombed unmercifully. So we landed, stevedores came aboard, started unloading us. We had loaded, been carried a heavy load across. After a couple of weeks, the medics left the ship went to a chemical warfare school. World War One. they could use gas. We didn't know what they might do it in World War Two. We were there a couple of weeks, back to our ship. We spent our time getting ready for the invasion, stocking first aid cabinets, making bandages, dressings, sterilizing all the instruments. Syringes, needles. We didn't have any throwaways then. Everything we reused, we sterilized, reused. A couple of times we loaded up tanks, jeeps, trucks. Go out to the channel, turn around, come right back. Just practice. One day we loaded up, we didn't go out to the channel. We waited about just about dark, dark came pretty late that night. We headed across. We got into Normandy, Omaha Beach. Next afternoon, they were still fighting there, trying to secure the beach. We had to anchor out some three or four feet of water we couldn't hit the beach. We opened up our doors and they ramp down, started unloading. I saw the foot soldiers with those heavy packs go down that ramp, lose their footing, and drown right there at the end of the ramp. I saw soldiers made it into the beach some six, eight dozen steps step on a landmine, life was over. Sniper to get them. We saw some terrible sights, but this was war. We loaded cabbages all night. There's a bunch of boys who came in very quickly overnight. We loaded I guess 150, 175 <coughs> casualties. Headed back to England with them. With one of the boys in our group, with a bus, another Mercer boy, somebody I've known his name was Ed Phillips. Ed came back later on Rose Long Cemetery down here. Ed was a field director at that time. We had come very close. He volunteered me to help him on the death detail. We had gone and 
their corridor. We lost one. We carried them into the area there to prepare it. First thing we done was clean them up. They were greasy, bloody, muddy, extremely dirty. We cleaned them up best we could. Then we find the ID tag, dog tag, <coughs> to identify them, wrap them in a blanket, put them in a cooling area there, just hold We get that demon, whether it be carried to a morgue. We made three trips, very successful. Carried troops, supplies, and equipment in, bring casting back. Our fourth trip in, started out very routine. We got back in Normandy that morning, oh, about 11.30, close to 12. We didn't wait until the tide come in to hit the beach. So we'd go all the way in. Then when the tide went out, we'd be on dry land. We could load and unload. But when the tide came back in, we had to be ready to leave out. I didn't come in about one o'clock, so we had about an hour, hour and a half with that. We anchored out five miles off of our beach. Had lunch. I got through, I came out of the chow hall. Walked down the deck along the rail. Got almost well up the bow couple soldiers standing there, started a conversation with them. We talked a few minutes. One of them said, this is our truck right here, let's just get in and sit down. So we did. We had been in that truck five minutes. We got orders to proceed into the beach, horses anchor, Worked our way around into a position to go into the beach. Swell went out. We just dropped right down on the line. When it been placed there, it drew a lot of water. It blew our ship completely into two pieces. The stern went this way, the bow that way. Anything midship, pretty well just polarized. The breeze began falling down on us. We stayed in the truck until the breeze quit falling. Soldiers went their way. I never saw them again. I don't know whether they made it or not. But I came out and was standing there on the deck. Bow was going down all the time. I knew I just had so much time. I'm a poor swimmer. Did I want to take off swimming and drown, or did I want to sail the ship and drown? That's a tough choice. I'm standing there debating. I don't know whether I was the last one to leave the ship or not, but I was close to the last if I wasn't. Just about the last possible chance, I heard somebody holler, Bill, Bill. I looked at the hill on the port side, some 100, 125 feet, 
down low in Mississippi with Jack Edmund. They managed to get a life raft loose. He said, you can't swim out here, because I believe I can get in there to you. Well, now, when that bow decides to go under, it creates a suction and pulls everything in with it. Jack was back in a safe area. But he never slowed down. He never paused. He came to me, risked his life, but he was always out of danger. He got within, I guess, 15, 20 feet of me. I said, Jack, I jumped that far. And I did. We got on the life raft, started trying to get away. Stopped and picked up four soldiers. <clears throat> Two of them was hurt extremely bad. In fact, one of them died before. We got picked up. The other one died if he didn't get medical help very soon. The other two wasn't hurt too bad. We tried to make our way back into a safe area. I don't know just how long we rode that life raft. I used to say 30 minutes, but I could be wrong. 15, 20 minutes one way or the other. But we were picked up by another landing craft boat called LCVP or better known as Higgins folks, maybe some of you heard that term. This was about, uh, oh, 25 foot long, I guess, 10 foot wide, designed to carry about 25 people. It was no match for the rough channel they had built up from the storm. We had a good Greg Copson, he tried to get us into the first aid station on the beach. Those swells would hit us, knock us every way in the world. He fought for a long time. Finally he said, there's no way I get into the beach. Let me see if I can get a ship and pick you up. Finally made our way over to a lift ship, man by the merchant ring. Old skipper standing up on the fantail. He said, Will you take any survivors? He said, I'll take all you bring me. With that, they dropped the wire basket over the side. We unloaded the army personnel. For some reason, I don't know why. When you got to Jack myself, they dropped a cargo net over the side. But Jack was about my size. When we built up, we still had a ways to jump to catch that net. Jack said, you want to go first? I said, Jack, it doesn't matter. We've got one chance. We make it good or else this is it. He said, you're right. I said, I'll go first. We looked at his saw a swell building up. The guy just right, he jumped. He caught the net, went up. I started watching for the swells. I saw one building up out here. I timed it right, I jumped. I caught the bottom of that net. 
like a squirrel. I didn't have a bit of trouble going up that net. <laughs> we got on board. The old skipper came to us. He said, well, said, you boys go down to the galley there and get you a cup of coffee. Eat something if you want it. We went down there. And I don't remember what I ordered. But bro, that was good looking food, wasn't a thing what was wrong with it. <laughs> Got me a cup of coffee. Took a swig, it wouldn't go down. Couldn't swallow a bit. Jack was the same way. We were there, mentioned over our food. The old skipper came by, laid his hand on our shoulders. He said, you boys have had a terribly hard day today. He said, I cleaned out a compartment for you right down the passageway there. You better ain't go to bed. Maybe that'll help you. We did. We rolled. We tumbled. If we closed our eyes, we'd relive what we'd gone through. If we didn't close our eyes, we still relived it. Sometime after midnight, I rolled over. Jack said, Bill, you awake? I said, Jack, I think I'll never go to sleep again. He said, I can't sleep. <coughs> I said, let's get up. We got up, went out on the open deck there. There's a little bench, just long enough for two of us. We took our seats on that bench back next to the bulkhead. Black this other night. Every once in a while, battleship there goes firing over. They fire back. We sit there and watch tracer bullets. I got thinking, why has my life been spared? I didn't even know I'd lay existed at that time. I had a mother and father, brother. Guys slept above, 18 of us slept in that one compartment. I thought about the guy who slept in the bunk right there. He was buried. The wife would never see him again. I knew he'd died. Big kill. Boy slept over here. He was buried and had a child. That child would never know his father. I'm getting to think about things like that. I've been raised in Sunday school. God was good. God would take care of you. What I had seen and gone through that day had built up a terrible doubt in my mind about God. If that was so, I couldn't figure out why anything that bad would happen. I decided I was going to be an atheist. But what about that life raft? Was that luck? Good time to be lucky. I think about another. No. What led me to get in that truck where I would be killed by the falling debris? Was luck still holding out? I spent the rest of the night 
debating with myself. Greatest debate I've ever had. Sometime before dawn, on the morning of June the 20th, 1944, I finally convinced myself that luck hadn't carried me that far. It had to be a power far greater than luck. It was God. <clears throat> Next day was a little bit better. Able to drink a little coffee, eat a little bit. Each day we improved. We were stayed on there, I don't know, four, five, six days. We picked up, carried on into England, back to England, into R&R &R camp. We'd been there some four or five weeks. Navy came out. They had time to check on everybody. And on our ship, 145 Navy personnel, 117, had lost their lives that day. 28 of us cut off. But the amazing thing to me, out of those 28, that 10 or 12 of us that had that little worship service, every one of us got off. Some of them was injured, injured bad, but they got off and survived. After we'd been in our camp there, I guess eight weeks probably, <coughs> we got all us back to the States. We came back on Queen Elizabeth. Four days coming back, four weeks going across. <clears throat> we got back to the stage, pulled in New York, got checked in, received orders, go on down to Norfolk, Virginia. Got down there the next day, maybe the second day, doctor called us in to examine us. I guess it must have been 35, 40 medics left off of three or four ships. We were headed to the South Pacific. The Marine Corps, Asheville Hospital Corps, is maintained by the Navy. We had been taken out of the Navy and put into the Marines. We were headed to the South Pacific. I was one that the doctor examined. He examined about a half dozen of us. Said he had seen enough. Gave us 30 day leave. We came home, enjoyed ourselves. Reported back knowing that we were going to the South Pacific. But he had blocked our orders. I wound up going back to Great Lakes, north of Chicago, up on Lake Michigan. Attached to boot camp. I recall one on an indoor rifle range where we fired 22 rifles to boot speed. I had a little first aid kit. I used to apply a band aid or call an ambulance or if we had an accident, whatever was necessary. Spent the rest of my time there at Great Lakes. Got discharged May the 16th, 1946. Got home about 
18th of May on my 21st birthday. Mother really had a big birthday dinner for me that year. I came back, worked at Whitman Chapel at that time, hired in as ambulance driver, but it wasn't long for. I lived there, I got everything pickups, work funerals, helped them bomb, field graves, set tents. I there, oh, I don't know, three, three and a half, four years. Live there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It began to get a little old. Had a chance to go to the Marshburg Electric Department. Did, stayed there 32 years. In the meantime, there, Adelaide, we have two girls which we raised. Now I have four grandchildren, five great grandchildren. Time moved along to August 2013. Got a call one morning. I was home by myself. She was at church at a watercolor class. <coughs> the voice on the other end said, to, This is Doug Hamilton with PBS New York City. I thought, Yeah, I'm going to too. <laughs> anyway, I treated very decent. He said, Were well, you in a 300? Met all the people from PBS and 
10 or 12 of them. We spent that afternoon in the American cemetery. I believe one of the most sacred places I have ever been. Every blade of glass of grass looked like it just been individually cut. The shrubbery was trimmed perfect. The trees. People were milling all around the cemetery. But you didn't hear a first sound. You didn't see the first piece of living. Every bottle of birds remained in the street. Sing a few notes for you and fly away. One of our doctors was buried there. Over one off our ship, as far as I know, they had a burial. Rest of the buried with him. We saw his grave. Spent quite a bit of time there with him. I was standing there looking out over the beach. Across the channel. Bill Gowden came up to me. And Bill, what are you thinking about? I said, Doug, I'm thinking about the contrast between today and D Day. He said, I need you to work. He said, You want to tell me about it? Well, that today is perfect. Perfect day, weather, everything. The day I did. Noise, lives are being lost, confusion. Just about the worst day you can imagine. I did from one extreme to the other. We spent all afternoon there. In fact, they kept there open. Extra 30 minutes for people to speak to us. That night we went to Sherbert. Next morning, caught a smaller ship, I guess 125, 150 feet long. Started cruising down the channel. Perfect day. Channel just as calm as water in the glass. Went by Utah Beach. Enjoying a boat ride very much. That's why we began to slow down. Came to a stop. But a cook had fixed some punch and cookies and little easy snacks for us. We were standing there enjoying those. Doug Hounder came up and said, Bill said, we're right on top. What's left of your ship now? Would you like to go down and see it? And we have another submarine here on the back. If you want to go down, we'll take you down. You can see it. I said, sure. Sure, let's go. This submarine, I guess, is six or seven foot long. It's the longest width of it. Sort of egg-shaped. We went up six-foot step right up on top, went down into the hatch. It was awful tight in there. Mm-hmm. I had a little shelf about this wide, maybe four foot long I had to lay on. Right over here this side, about that far from it, was known. The pilot's assistant was on that. And the pilot stepped his back in his legs between us. 
glass in on the submarine. They lifted us so we started going down. Went to the very bottom of the English Channel. Started circling around. There's what was left of our ship. About a 45 degree angle. Wedged into the sand. I saw where I had jumped from. Saw a lot of sights I remembered. The tanks were still chained to the deck. Trucks. A couple of tanks had fallen off laying that side of it. I don't know whether chains weakened from age or got damaged from the blast. I don't know why they fell, but they did. They were laying that side of the ship. One of my bow doors had fallen off laying there. But other than that, it was just like I left it. The rest of the debris had been cleaned out of the channel. We kept riding around, up and over and around. I couldn't see the number on the side of it. It had grown over with seaweed, algae. But I saw enough that I was convinced that that's the ship that I had been on. After a while, I told the pilot, I said, I believe we've seen everything there is to see. He said, yes. They said, we'll stay down as long as you want to stay. If this is your trip. Well, I said, I believe I'm ready to go up. I thought we'd been down maybe a half hour at the most. We began to come up. They got us out of the water, back on the ship. We came out of the submarine. We've been down on the bottom an hour and 15 minutes. Great experience. Something very few people ever have. The next day, we went on another boat, a sonar boat, rode the channel, looking at the bottom, and just about all the debris had been cleaned out. We left that night, came back into Paris, caught a plane, came back home. That was six years ago. I've had a life that not many have. You may not remember very much that I've told you today. That's all right. Every veteran has a story. And most of them are more impressive than mine. But I'm going to tell you something now. I don't care how old you are or how long you live. Don't ever forget it. There is a God. He's not dead. He's very much alive. He's not inactive. He's just as active today as he was at the beginning. It's been a privilege to be with you today. Thank you for listening. You've been a great audience. And may God be as good to you as he has been to me. Thank you very much.
I can't follow that up other than to say thank you. Thank you for showing us what a life of service looks like. And uh, I know, guys, that there are thousands of people out there. You know some of them. You don't know most of them. But you have been served. And now the question remains, who are you going to serve? Who, how are you going to carry the torch? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Thank you again, Bill. We appreciate everything you do. And God bless you. Thank you. Thank you guys, you are dismissed.